Uh, you can't outthink God. So we're going to go to Romans this morning. I woke up this morning and picked up my, my cell phone, as most of us usually do. And uh, the first thing I looked at were some horrific things that had taken place. Very disturbing, and I'm going to talk about those in just a moment as we move on a little bit. And I said, Lord, I said, it's so important. People come to church. They need something positive. They need to know that next week they can make it through uh, the week. They need to know that uh, life isn't just horrible and full of trials and tribulations, but that God does some things that are wonderful as well. So I said, Lord, I... I just looked at this. It's not happy. I'm not happy about what I just read. I'm not happy about what's happening internationally and here locally, 15 minutes from here. And I said, Lord, I, I need to get on top side. And I said, Lord, put something good in my head. And he did. Last Wednesday night, I was downstairs and uh, was in one of the classrooms after Awana and TNT and youth group ended. And there in uh, the room was a little boy bouncing a ball. I forget if he's two or three. And, uh, you know, I'm, I've seen some folks looking at each other because I'm talking about him. I am. And uh, as he's bouncing his, his little ball and having a, just having a good old time, and the ball come towards me, I'd kick it back to him. And his mom and dad were in there, and his grandpa and grandpa were in there, and some of his uh, other relatives were in there and just having a good old time. And I said, boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if uh, all families were like this? Wouldn't it be wonderful if uh, when you see families together and the children are happy and their smile on their face like I saw Wednesday night? Wouldn't it be great if uh, uh, mom and dad are there and the relatives are there and grandpa and grandma are there and everybody's got smiles on their faces and life is good and I saw it Wednesday night and I said life is good and God's good and God moved in that family and has done tremendous things for them but it's like that's that's what God designed families to be like he designed children to be happy and to be smiling and to be nurtured when Steve read from Deuteronomy this morning he actually read what's known in, in uh, Jewish circles as the Shema the Shema is basically pointing to God the Father and uh, a worshiping God for whom he is. And then he says in the latter part of the verses in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, the last couple of verses in the Shema say to do what? To teach it to your children. Day and night, night and day, teach your children, love your children, teach them the word of God. And folks, I trust that's what all of us try to do right here that are part of Union Grove Baptist Church. And I've got to touch on this because it just happened in basically a few minutes from where we're seated right now last night, 1 o'clock in the morning. Someone pulls a gun out at a bar, kills three people, wounds two others, 15 minutes from where we're seated right now. You say, oh, Brother Rich, what do you think about that? And as most of you know, I've not only been in ministry 40 years, but I served uh, with the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office for 32 of those years, was a sheriff of Milwaukee County for a couple of years. You say, well, what do you think about that? Well, here's what I know. I know that at 1 o'clock in the morning, 
at any bar in the country that nothing good is going to come out of it. I know that with the percentage, the high percentage of folks that are addicted to alcohol, that are alcoholics, and they go to bars, and their lives end up going in the wrong direction. When Valerie and I drove into town this morning, as we were coming down 45, we went by a few places that don't teach the Word of God and don't teach salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And I said, what's more dangerous, the bars or churches that don't teach the truth and aren't willing to stand up and teach the truth? We both came to the conclusion the most dangerous place on earth is a church that won't teach the truth. And folks, we're going to teach the truth here. Thank you. Can I get another amen? amen? Folks, that's what it's all about. You see, many folks that are here have come out of alcoholism, and all of a sudden the Lord Jesus transforms their life. Many of you have come out of drug addiction, and God's changed your life. And for, thankfully, many of you have never gone into drugs or alcohol, and you got saved when you were young, which is what we want to happen. You say, well, uh, when we give testimonies on Sunday morning or new members come in and, and some, uh, some of our folks will say, listen, my testimony isn't very exciting. And I said, praise the Lord. I've, I've, never been, I've never gone into the depths of sin. I've never gone into uh, a prostitution. I've never gone into drugs. I've never gone into alcohol. I had a wonderful Christian home, and it's not very exciting. And I said, it's extremely exciting. Because God kept you from going places that others wish they would have never gone. And I say, praise the Lord, that's great. You come up here, you give that testimony, and you be so thankful as to God preserved you from going through those things. Folks, the world's a mess. We know that. And as we open up the, the book of Romans this morning, chapter 2, we're going to be looking again uh, Romans very much. Paul at the beginning of, of the book is centering in on the Jewish people. And he's contrasting them, as we're going to see this morning, with uh, uh, those that are Gentiles. Now, this is no trick question. It's no trick thing. When we're talking about Jews and Gentiles, we're not trying to spiritualize this and talk about Christians and non-Christians. We are going to the Word of God. We take it literally exactly what it means. So we're going to be looking at the Jewish people that Paul was addressing, and who's a Jewish person? Well, it's one who ethnically was born, has Jewish blood in them. Okay? It's no secret. When we're looking at Gentiles, it's non-Jewish people. So if you don't have any Jewish blood in you, you are not a Jew. You are a Gentile. Let's stop here for a moment before we open up the word. You'll see on the screen, if you will, the, I don't know if we'll call it the theme, the mission of the church. Of course, the mission is to seek and to save those who are lost. Same mission Christ had, Luke 19.10. But folks, this is about the church that God's love is building. And every single person here this morning, we're so thankful you're here. We have many visitors again. Thanks so much for coming. And we want you to feel at home here. You see that little boy that was in uh, downstairs and he's bouncing the ball and the family's happy. That's the goal. 
But if we are honest, there's families here this morning that have gone through tough, tough, tough times. And your children have gone through some horrific times. And some of you have, have gone through just horrific situations and you come here on Sunday morning, which is why I really don't like talking about negative things, because you come here and it's like, Lord, we need some help today. We need some encouragement. We need to be moving in the right direction. And that's why I said, Lord, three people dead last night. I don't want to talk about that, but I want to address it. But there's young people here this morning that need a hug. There's young people here this morning that somebody needs to come up beside, put their arm around them and tell them, hey, God loves you and I love you and I'm here for you. There's teenagers here this morning that need a hug. There's moms and dads this morning that need encouragement. They need a handshake. And I'm very cautious. And by the way, you'll see me, uh, that young lady running the, the, the internet back there. If you saw me when I came in, I put my hand around her and gave her a hug. That's my daughter. <laughs> I won't do that with every lady. I'll do it with the guys, but uh, i got to keep my hands to myself, right? And that's the way we want to do it here, have uh, propriety and dignity and honor folks the way we should. But there's folks here this morning that need a, a word of encouragement and, and need to be uh, uh, encouraged. So we want to always know this as a church that God's love is building. Yes, we have standards. Yes, we have things that we go through that are a little bit difficult at times, but know that God loves you, we love you, we'll do everything we can to try and make you feel at home here. I trust and I'm, I'll pray in just a moment. If you're here for the first time, uh, there's co connection cards out in the back. If you, we, I would really like you to fill one out, stick it in, again in the, one of the offering plates back there. And uh, we'll contact you, I will take you out to dinner with my wife. And uh, it may not happen for several weeks, but we'll get that done. Well, let's get into the word this morning. Have you ever tried to make a deal with God? Well, Lord, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, if, uh, if uh, I do this, I promise to do this, or if, I, if you'll help me get through this tough situation, then I'll do whatever you think is the right thing to do. Have you ever done something wrong and then begged God to make it go away? Too late, been there, done that. The word was said, the action was done, and all of a sudden it's like, God, if you, if you just somehow can make this go away, uh, wouldn't it be wonderful? Can you actually change the truth of God through human reasoning? We're going to see how groups of individuals tried to do that in our text from Romans this morning. Well, I'll tell you what, God, maybe if God's word is absolute, it doesn't change, so we have to look at that this morning. Are you personally secure in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Why or why not? We're going to look at a group this morning in the book of Romans that were very, very secure in what they had, their relationship with God, at least what they thought was a relationship. So as we open this morning, we will examine three biblical truths regarding the unalterable certainty of God's word. Take your Bible, let's go to Romans chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, most of this will be up on the screen in a few moments. But uh, we always encourage you to bring a Bible to Union Grove Baptist because that's what we're going to preach out of, teach out of. 
And uh, we're going to, uh, this morning, we'll start at Romans chapter 2 and verse 25, and we'll see if we can get through uh, Romans chapter 3, a few verses this morning. Romans 3, 25, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a lawbreaker, or if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Now, let's stop here for a moment because I'm going to lose about half of you right here. And many of the young people have no clue what we're talking about when we're talking about the concept of circumcision. Now, we're not going to get technical, but here's the thing, just so that our young people and those that may not be familiar with this term. Basically, what it's talking about is circumcision is a specific, it's a surgical act that happens to males only. And uh, if your children don't understand what that is, you can tell them on your own and figure out how to do that, all right? Uh, uh, I'm not going to do it from up here. But circumcision is something that takes place on all male Jews when they were born. If their parents did not have them have this little surgical procedure, it was considered that they weren't really following God's law. All right, so that's the best I'll do. It's a surgical procedure that all young Jewish males had to go through. Verse 26, therefore, if an uncircumcised man or one who did not have this surgical procedure, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even when your written code and circumcision are transgression of the law. For he, here's the key point, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men but from God." Chapter 3, verse 1, what advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Father, I pray now as we open up this very uh, detailed text and begin to unfold every single word and what it means, I pray, Father, that you'd speak to hearts this morning. Lord, we are in a difficult time. We are seeing difficult situations. We hear difficult things that have happened in our neighborhood last night. And yet, Father, there is hope. There is a sure hope in Jesus Christ. And this morning, I pray as we open up the precious word of God that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd excite us, that you'd motivate us, and that you'd help us to walk out of here fired up, if you will, ready to serve you like never before. And Father, I pray that you do what only you can do, that you'd change hearts. Father, revive the saved and save the lost. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So we're looking at, uh, as we finish up from our, our portion from last week, the, uh, uh, the accuracy of self-assessment. How accurate are we when we examine ourselves? And we're looking uh, at two different groups this morning. First, we're going to start with the dichotomy, or the, if you will, the two pieces involved with the circumcised or the Jewish people. 
And Romans 2.25 says, For circumcision is indeed profitable. And we'll look at that from the Old Testament in just a moment. If you keep the law. He's saying, listen, if you're if your mom and your dad, or specifically your dad, and they brought you to uh, the Jewish priest, and they had you circumcised, go through this little surgical procedure, which was a part of the law. That's a good thing. You did what God wanted you to do in the Old Testament times. But here's the problem, Jewish person. If you've gone through the ritual of circumcision, you've gone through the surgery, if you will, and your heart is not with God, you might as well not have gone through the surgery. Waste of time. God's saying that was an outward sign of something that, if you, for the most part, the parents had mandated that you have when you were a child, basically a few days old. And if your heart has not been changed, but you've had the ritual of circumcision, God says, you're not right with me. Circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Now, folks, I'm going to take you to the Jewish pieces of this. What we're looking at here, if you're here this morning, Gentile or Jew, doesn't matter, these are Old Testament principles. God is not looking for you to get circumcised this morning. That's not the point here. What we're going to do is we're going to look at how God is now going to contrast the Old Testament Jew who is living under the law basically with us who are Christians. So stay tuned. Don't tune out yet because it's all going to come together. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6, here's what the Jewish people were resting in. For you, Jewish people, are a holy people to the Lord, your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the pieces on the face of the earth. Go to Deuteronomy 14 and verse 2. For you, again, Jewish people, God reiterates it, are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So the Jewish people are resting in this. They had this, what they thought was an absolute, irrevocable relationship with God. And God looks right down on them and he says, Listen, folks, you're living like pagans. You went through the ritual of circumcision. You had your sons circumcised, but your hearts are far from me. And God is calling them on their relationship with himself. Now let's pause here real quick because I, I don't want us to lose track of this and just keep picking on the Old Testament Jewish people, if you will. We walked into this church, most of us this morning, as individuals who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. The majority of us know that. Some of you may be here this morning. If you died right now, you're not sure if you died, you go to heaven. I want you to stay tuned with me. We'll tell you how to make sure you can go to heaven before the end of the hour. But we walk in and it's like, I've got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was lost. I knew that Christ came down from heaven and died on the cross for my sins. I made a personal commitment to receive the free gift of eternal life by trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you locked into God. And it's like, can't get any better than this. I can do whatever I want now. Life is good. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're laughing. 
Because what does God say? He looks at us the same way that he would look at a Jewish person. The Jewish person said, I've got it made. I'm one of God's chosen people. I can do whatever I want because God said I'm his chosen. And God says, hold on, hold on, Mr. and Mrs. Jewish person. Not so. Yes, you've gone through a ritual. Yes, you have some very specific blessings. But don't overthink it. Don't try to outthink God. Titus chapter 3, here's what Christians many times do. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. We have done nothing, Christian, to inherit God's righteousness. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his what? His mercy, he saved us. Saved us from sin. Saved us from the condemnation of sin, which is eternal life in an awful place called the lake of fire. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing the Holy Spirit, God says, listen, don't, 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 don't think so highly of yourself. Only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story too. God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. How about our good works? He says, we're not saved by our righteousness nor by our good works. We all know this verse. We go through it every week. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of our works, lest any person should boast. How about, well, maybe maybe if uh, I do like the Jewish people did and I follow the commandments, I'll have God's favor. And God says, oh, but that no one is justified by the law and the sight of God is evident for the just to live by faith. And God keeps looking at us as Christians and he looked at the Jewish people uh, who were resting in, uh, yes, they were a chosen people. Yes, they were a holy people. And yes, they have some wonderful things that are going to happen to them in the future according to prophecy, which we'll be talking about on Sunday nights in Revelation. And yes, Israel will be reformed as a nation. It's already starting. Yes, the Jewish people will have a special blessing from God. And these Jewish people, and Paul's called them on it, and he says, oh, you think you got it made, don't you? You think because you got circumcised, you follow some of the 613 commandments that you're right with God, and God says, no, your heart's far from me. We've got to be careful. In Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, uh, the prophet said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners who dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised where? In the heart. And God looks at our Jewish friends, and he looks at people who are in our society today. And I says, I'm not worried about the ritual. I'm not worried about the circumcision. I'm not worried about all the different things that we do as Christians to gain favor with God. God says, that's not what gains favor with me. You know what gains favor with me? It's when you serve me. It's when you love me. It's when you get my word. It's when you do the right thing. What else does he say? The dichotomy of the circumcised. So what's he first saying? He's like, listen, if you're a Jewish person, and I have many Jewish friends, as I'm sure some of you do as well, and God's saying, listen, because you're a Jewish person, they don't get a free pass to heaven. You say, well, don't the Jews automatically, I mean, they're special, God's chosen them. Uh, we don't really need to give the gospel to the Jewish people, do we? Oh, yes, we do. 
You see, there's no difference between, and Paul says this very clearly in Revelation or in Romans chapter one, which we've gone to. There is no difference between a Jew, between a Greek, meaning Gentile. Every single person needs to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, folks. We got a lot of work to do. You say uh, the church is growing, and I'm thankful for that. But folks, uh, we can't get myopic and say, "Well, you know, it, it's uh, uh, we might as well. We're doing good. Life is good. Uh, we've got enough people. We've got enough money. Things are going good. We've got some good conferences. Things are going great." And I say, "No. Yes, they're going great, but folks. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands." And tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people between Kenosha, Racine, and Milwaukee counties are going to perish and go to an awful place called hell. And God says that's not what he wants. The dichotomy of the uncircumcised, those of us who are Gentiles. And by the way, here's, you're like, well, wait a second. This is America. Basically, every Gentile child in the hospital is circumcised, and that is true. Most all males, uh, uh, by law, if you will, from, uh, from hospitals are circumcised. So when we're talking about this, we're not talking about, as we may know, and those of you that are in the medical profession, yes, most male Gentiles or Jews, doesn't matter who they are, it's part of the, basically uh, the system that we live under, are circumcised uh, uh, shortly after birth. But God here is referring to the circumcised as those who are Jewish and the uncircumcised as Gentiles. Remember, this was written in the first century, not in the 21st century. Therefore, uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 26, Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision are transgressor of the law. So God's saying, uh, Paul's kind of dealing with those who are trying to, if you will, manipulate God. They're trying to outthink him. They're trying to put God in a box and, and, and basically set the parameters here. And the Lord is looking at these individuals and he's dealing with Jewish people in the first century and he say, just put your arguments on hold for a minute. Let's take a look at this. So what we're saying, if we have a Gentile individual who by nature, Romans chapter 1, understands that I exist, and if that person basically becomes a proselyte to Judaism before Christianity started in the first century, if a Gentile person decides to, if you will, convert to Judaism back in the old days and does the law and tries to do the right things, does that mean he's, he can't get into heaven, if you will, that he can't be one of my children because he's not circumcised? And God says, perish the thought. He's like, I'm looking for people whose hearts are with me. Yes, there was the Old Testament rituals. Yes, there were the things that, uh, uh, as a Jewish person, they were commanded to do. But God says, listen, circumcised or uncircumcised, I don't care. Are you loving me? Are you following my principles? Are you following the word? So then we go back to the end of Romans 2. How do we determine who is a true believer and who's just following, if you will, ritual? And the Bible makes it very clear, Romans chapter 2, verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. What's God saying here? 
Now, folks, when I go to Israel, and I've been there many times, and I, who knows if I'll ever get back there again based on the way things are going around the world. I'd love to take you there sometime. But when I go to Israel or when I go and see some of my Hasidim friends down in Milwaukee area or up in Mequon, and I go into their communities, and many of them, as you well know, and we've talked about this, have very specific clothing that they wear, very obvious to others. You don't walk down the street and see these individuals and not know what their religion is. They're Jewish, absolutely. And they follow rituals, and they go to the synagogue, and they follow massively long... You think it's long here when you're here for an hour, hour, 15 minutes? You go to a Jewish synagogue on a holy day, which I've done, and you can sit there five, six hours to get through a service. You're like, ooh, that's a long time. It is a long time. <laughs> but they've got to follow the ritual. They've got to follow the law. And God says, I don't care if you sit in church for 12 hours at a time. I don't care if you sit in the synagogue 12 hours at a time. If your heart is not right with me, you might as well not have gone. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he says, listen, you want to be a pure Jew? You want to be a Jew, if you will, that uh, I'm going to uh, have a relationship with? Then you've got to change your heart. Folks, it's no different for us today than it was 2,000 years ago when God was addressing the Jewish people. God does not care where you came from. He doesn't care what you've done in the past, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. God wants your heart. God wants your heart. Young people, God wants your heart. Teenagers, God wants your heart. Young adults, God wants your heart. Young married couples, by the way, let me park on young marriage for a minute. You are key to Union Grove Baptist Church. You say, what do you think about the young married couples? I think they're one of the most important parks. They're all important. Folks, you know where God is working harder than he, I mean, God's working overtime to draw on young people's hearts, young married couples, young families. Because when you watch what's happening across the world today, when you're watching the Marxist philosophies being pushed into your homes, when you're watching the socialist agenda being pushed into your homes, you know who they're targeting? Our young married couples, our teenagers, your junior high folks. Folks, I'm begging you. Stay consistent. Get in that young marriage couple's uh, Sunday school class. Make that thing grow. Talk to your, uh, uh, your friends. Talk to those that, uh, folks, there's a lot of young married couples running around this community. we got to go after them. The only hope for America, the only hope for young couples, the only hope is as we move forward in this particular world, in this particular society, is folks having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And God says, I, I don't care about your rituals. I don't care about all the uh, uh, litur liturgical things that happen. I don't care about all that stuff. God says, I want your heart. And folks, you need to give them a heart. America's going to keep going in the wrong direction. What else does he say? 
He says, listen, uh, and we've gone there several weeks with this particular thing. We've got, uh, we've, we've got those who know the truth. He says, here's the, the, the truth. Are you going to follow the truth or are you going to follow ritual? Are you going to file in the church every single Sunday and, and say, well, I sang the songs, I listened to the hymns, I, got, uh, uh, I went through uh, uh, church, uh, uh, different things at church, and I learned different things, uh, but, ah, man, I can't give my heart to God. And God says, listen, I don't care about all that other stuff. It's good stuff, but I don't care about that if you don't have a relationship with me. They knew the truth, but they rejected it. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is what? Oh, boy, there's an unpopular word, sin. Sin. I don't like that word, do you? It's just not a pleasant word. And in our society, if we want to be politically correct, we don't talk about that word. We've got to, we got to make it part of the cancel culture. Let's cancel it out. Get rid of the word sin. It's not popular. It's not politically correct. But it's biblically spot on. Folks, you want to wreck your life, you go to sin. You want your children to go in the wrong direction, you go to sin. You say, why are you having family conference? Because I don't want our children to go to sin. I don't want our families to go to sin. I don't want our married couples ending up in a statistic. You say, well, Brother Rich, you know I'm here and I've gone through all that. I've been there, done that. I've, I've, my family was destroyed. Then you come. Because you see, folks, just like God, we don't care where you were, where you came from. We want to know so we can help you. But if your family was destroyed, we want you here so we can help you rebuild it, so we can put our arms around you and say, come on, let's, let's do this. Life is not over because you had a tough time. Let God transform you. That's why we're here. What were the key issues back then? The unsaved Jews accused Paul of preaching against three specific things. He's like, ah, you don't love the Jewish people. Huh, that's not true. God's promises to the Jewish people. You're trying to take them all away from us. You're, you're denying God's righteousness. And as we go into Romans chapter 3, Paul addresses every single one of their objections. So very quickly, the definition of key terms. Check at Romans chapter 3. What advantage then has the Jew? Paul, you just went through and said, if their hearts aren't right with me, if they're not doing the right thing as far as their relationship with Christ, the Jewish person has zero advantage. And Paul says, I want to talk about that for a minute. What advantage then has the Jewish person? We begin to think about their history, and I'm going to very quickly go through some things. We go back to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7. It was prophesied about the horrible things that the Jewish people would go through. In Luke chapter 21, verse 24, it talks about the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles began in 586 B.C. when the Jews were plundered and taken captive to Babylon. We are living in the time of the Gentiles ever since 586 B.C., and it will continue until Jesus Christ returns at his second advent after the seven-year tribulation. We'll show you a chart in a moment. Folks, I'm not talking about when he returns at the rapture. I'm talking about when he returns at the second coming. And uh, the Jewish people are saying, well, what advantage then has the Jew? They've been persecuted. They were knocked out of their 
country. They were taken captive. They were dispersed from their land and they still aren't all back. How can you say there's an advantage for the Jews? I have in my hand tonight, there's no way I'm going to get through it. Here's all the persecutions that have happened against the Jewish people, and I'm, obviously you can't see this, page after page after page after page after page of anti-Semitic major things that have happened around the world, around the country, and right here in the United States of America. What advantage has the Jew when they are constantly being attacked and persecuted? Luke 21, 24, and they will fall by the edge of the sword, speaking of the Jewish people, and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Folks, that's key prophecy. What's he talking about? When we're looking at our screen this morning, we're seeing this. Approximately 4,000 B.C. creation started. I told you in 586 B.C. is when the Jewish people were dispersed from Israel. Jesus Christ comes. Folks, the time of the Gentiles still exists today and will continue all the way through the tribulation period. That's been 586 years before Christ nearly 600 years, 2,000 years, that's 2,600 years. We don't know when the rapture is going to occur, so there's at least another seven years should the rapture happen today. The Jewish people were given all these wonderful blessings, if you were. God said, you're my special people, yet they have not had a home. They have not been the center of God's uh, economy, if you will, for the last 2,000, 2,600 years. What advantage has the Jew? After the seven-year tribulation, Revelation chapter 19 tells us that Jesus Christ will come back, Revelation 19, 11 through 21, and set up his 1,000-year millennial kingdom right here on earth. He talks about that millennial kingdom in Revelation chapter 20. It's all going to happen, just as he said. But, but Paul's looking at this, and, and of course, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, well, what advantage then has the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Well, again, we're almost out of time, so I'm going to just very quickly go through this. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God made it very clear that every single Jewish person, male, had to go through the ritual of circumcision. It was mandated by God, and we're not going to read it because of time. But here's the advantage the Jewish person has, and by the way, it's the same exact advantage that you're part of. Romans chapter 3, verse 2. What advantage has the Jew? And God says, much in every way. Why? Because chiefly, because to them were committed the oracles or the words of God. Oh, wait a minute. The Jewish people, 1400 B.C., 1445 B.C., are taken out of Egypt after being in captivity for 400 years. God takes the Jewish people out to Mount Sinai, up the mountain, Moses goes, and God begins to give him, if you will, the oracles, the declaration of God to the Jewish people. You're like, well, we got rituals. We've got clothing that we wear. We've got things that we keep. And God says, listen, you want to know what the Jewish person has? Yes, they've gone through persecution. Yes, they've gone through horrific anti-Semitic things. 
take a look at this. Remember that? Well, you won't remember it. You weren't there. <laughs> Moses is up there, and the glory of God appears to Moses, and he starts to write down the precious words of God. God says, I gave you my word. You ever hear somebody say, I gave you my word? Solid. When I give you my word, that's as good as a writing out a legal document. Well, God gave us his word, and it is better than a legal document. And God says, I gave my word to the Jewish people. By the way, did God give us his word? Absolutely. Romans chapter 9, verse 3, uh, when they're looking at Paul, and he, he's like, well, what advantage has the Jew? And Paul says, I'm going to tell you what advantage the Jew has. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. Paul, you don't love the Jewish people, do you? You're picking on them. And Paul says, and excuse the language, but that's exactly what the translation is stating here. Paul is saying, I wish I could go literally to hell if it would result in the conversion of the Jewish people. Paul understood what hell is and by the way, for your young children that are going to walk out of here and say, Pastor Rich swore in church this morning. No, Pastor Rich did not swear in church this morning. You see, hell is a real place. Our society has changed that word into a swear word, a word that we, well, what better way does Satan try and take away the truth of God's word than to put in little children's hearts that it's a swear word to read the word of God? You think about that? I don't like saying the word a lot. But you got to say it in the right context. There is a true place called hell. Revelation 21.8 tells us it's a place that burns with fire and brimstone where the fire never goes out. The Gospels tell us it's a place where those without Jesus Christ will spend eternity suffering in an awful place of eternal flames. Hell is a real place. And Paul says, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, the Jewish people, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom according to the flesh Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. But we've got to really zip through this. The absolute righteousness of God. Here's the argument. And there's multiple questions, and I've outlined them here for you. For what if some did not believe? What if some of the Jewish people didn't believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? We're good with God. They are making, they are trying to outthink God. They're trying to use his word against him. We're in good standing with God, and here's why. And God says, check this out, my dear friends. Amos chapter 3, hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel. Wait a minute. We, I thought they said they had it made, and God says you better pay attention. Pay attention, uh, Jewish people, because here's, here's the truth of it. You can't outsmart me. O children of Israel, Jewish people, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, you got it made. Life is good. Don't worry about a thing. Is that what he says? Therefore, I gave you my word. I gave you the, the principles in the word of God, and you twisted them trying to outthink me. Therefore, God says to the Jewish people, here is the condemnation. Therefore, if your hearts do not come to me, if you do not change, I will punish you for all your iniquities. 
The word known comes from the Hebrew word yada, known people relationship. He's like, I've, I know you. You're my special people. I've got special things for you. I've made known my word to you. But your hearts are hard. The assessment, are we without sin? Are we going to make it? Is everything good? And God says, certainly not indeed. Let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. I'm going to close with Hebrews. I read this again last night and I, as I went through my message. Folks, when we get to the next slide, if your heart doesn't break, if it doesn't move you, then we need a little revival. We do need revival, folks. The words that we're about to read are very, very, very strong. The writer of Hebrews says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What is God saying? You see behind me that cross? We just got through commemorating Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The sacrifice has been done. It's over. It happened 2,000 years ago. And he's saying, listen, listen, folks sitting right here in this room today, listen, those watching uh, uh, through live stream this morning, he's saying, listen, uh, uh, if you sin willfully, if you, do, if you, reject, if you reject God, if you, if you just say, I'm not buying into this, and God says there's, no, there's not another way to care for things, it's over. You either accept what I've done for you or there's no other choice, there's no other way. You have the knowledge of the truth. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. It's been completed once for all. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. And then he goes to the Jewish people. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now you say, well, I'm not Jewish or I'm not Old Testament. And now we come to us. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the son of god underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace those are penetrating words brought tears in my eyes last night as i began to think through this so do you know how horrible it would be if one person from Union Grove Baptist Church thought that through a ritual they'd done or a class they attended or something they personally did was going to take them to heaven someday, trampling the Son of God underfoot? You say, well, I, I would never do that. I would never go against God. And God says, listen, if you've rejected Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've not accepted his free gift of eternal life through trusting in Jesus, you've trampled the Son of God who did go to the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, and you're trampling God underfoot. And insulted the spirit of grace. Folks, what are you going to do with Jesus today? What will you do with Jesus today? Say, Brother Rich, the Christian life, and most of you here have made a decision to trust Jesus, and I'm so happy you have. And I don't know what you do in your personal lives for the most part. And God says, how about a nice breath of fresh air this morning? 
how about when, in just a moment, when we, we dismiss and we go and have some good fellowship time and then Sunday school time, he said, how about we just take a moment and ask God to revive us? I sent a text message to all the deacons this morning. We have 11 wonderful deacons here. And I said, guys, pray for God to do something in the hearts of people this morning, all of us. I don't know of any problems. I don't see any issues. But I know, I know as sure as I'm standing here, Satan's attacking our families. He'll do that. And it's kept quiet, but it'll happen. He'll try to attack our church from within. And I said, we need to ask God to do something special this morning. We need a, a, a family that is tight-knit. And what are we all going to do? We're all going to get our little red balls out. We're going to take them and we're going to bounce them down the aisles and our, all the rest of our church family is going to say, you go there, keep it, keep it bouncing, buddy. Keep it going. We get a smile on our face and we come together and we, and we work together and we uh, cry together and we uh, uh, do the right things together and we ask God to, to meet with us as a, a special family and to help us to grow and help us to be consistent and help us to be loving and help us never, ever, ever, ever to do anything that would insult or hurt another person in our family and to, but to be there to, to, to lift you up and to help you and to encourage you and God says that's a family. And that's what our church is, a church that God's love is building. And it's all because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. You love Jesus this morning? You love him this morning? Do you have that strong personal relationship with him, Christian? Are you walking with God? Folks, there's people, and I, I know I got in. There's people here this morning that have lost loved ones again just recently. I look at, sorry, Lamont, I'm going to call you out there, my brother and Amber. They just got back from... Uh, New York after uh, losing close loved ones. There's others here that have recently lost loved ones and your heart's broken, but God says, I love you this morning. Love you, brother. <laughs> Glad you're here. And God says, I love you too. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Finally, if you're here this morning, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you die right now, do you know 100% sure if you died that you go to heaven? And God says, listen, I got something special for you. I got a gift for you. It's not a ritual. It's not a circumcision. It's not a class. It's a relationship. Say, Brother Rich, do you, do you really mean that you can really have a true relationship with Jesus Christ? The answer is absolutely yes. How do you start that relationship? Four quick things. It doesn't matter if you've been here one hour, it's your first time here, or you've been here all your life. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? How do you make that relationship happen? Very quickly and we're done. Number one, it starts with the bad news that we're all sinners. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. Second thing God says, because we've sinned, if we got what we deserved, we'd spend an eternity in the lake of fire, Revelation 21.8, because of our sin. But Jesus said, I love you. Jesus said, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I want to take you to heaven. And I came down from heaven, went to that cross. Three days later, uh, after I was buried, rose again from the dead to prove I was God, because I love you. And Jesus holds out his hand and he says, here's what you have to do. Did you get me? Here's what you have to do, person, individual. Here's what you have to do. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. What does that mean? It's not through baptism, not through the Lord's Supper, not through communion, not through good works. Nothing you can do, just like the circumcised Jewish person will take you to heaven. For by grace, God's free and merited gift are you saved through faith. 
It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Just reach out, take it, and pull the gift into yourself. Receive Christ's free gift. Father, I pray now that you would do what only you can do, that you change hearts this morning. Father, thank you so much that our relationship is not because of circumcision. It's not because of any other uh, thing we may do religiously, but it's through having a personal relationship with you. Father, I pray for every single person here this morning that's already trusted Christ. Father, I don't know the struggles everybody goes through, but they're struggling people here this morning because I know you've made it very clear that every single day is a war with Satan. If you're here this morning and there's things that the uh, old devil has been working on you, trying to get you to go sideways, trying to get you off balance, would you ask him to help you this morning? Would you ask him to help you to overcome those temptations and issues that you've been facing and get your heart right with him this morning? Would you reach out and grab him this morning and say, Oh, God, would you please help me? Would you please help me to fight those things which I have been failing at? Lord, take me away from the temptress. Take me away from the alcohol. Take me away from the drugs. Take me away from uh, the, the meanness. Take me away from being unkind to folks. Take me away from things which are hurting my family and my children and my loved ones. God, just help me to do the right things. That's you this morning. Would you just give it to the Lord? Give it to him right now. You tell him in your own words. Finally, if you're here this morning, I want to give you finally the opportunity. If you've never received Jesus' personal relationship, if you will, through trusting in, the, in Jesus Christ, would you give your life to Jesus this morning and accept his free gift of eternal life? You say, Brother Rich, I want that so bad. I've been trying all my life to work myself to heaven, but I'm ready to receive the free gift. Right there where you are, whether you're watching or here, would you tell God in your own words that you're receiving the free gift of eternal life by believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and taking his dear son as your savior? I'm going to say a prayer just now. The prayer is not what will save you, but if you're ready to trust Jesus and you're having a little struggle praying and asking him in your own words, just say these simple words like this. Are you ready? You can pray silently with me. Again, the prayer is not what will save you. It's your faith that will. But let's tell Jesus what you're doing in your heart. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because I've sinned, I don't deserve to go to heaven. But right now, I am receiving the free gift of eternal life by accepting the free gift that you've given to me through your death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you so much for saving me and promising to take me to heaven when I die. Father, seal all decisions this morning. Father, revive us again in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said,